Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of An Entertaining Chat. Today I will be joined by none other than HiredGunArt.com's very own Steve. Steve, welcome to An Entertaining Chat. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure. So, just a little bit of background. I ran into you up near Chicago, so you're Chicago area native, right? That's correct. Yes, I've uh, been born and raised here. Awesome. So I don't make it up to Chicago far and as often as I should. Uh, that's a problem on my part. But uh, I did run into you at this year's C2E2 uh, convention up in Chicago, which I have to say, I quite enjoy C2E2 above Wizard World. What, what do you think? What, what's your thoughts on C2E2 versus Chicago Wizard World? Absolutely, uh, 100% agree with you on that. Um, C2E2 is much better organized, I feel like, and... Uh, you can kind of navigate things pretty well. There's a lot of help around. And uh, I think just, I mean, just from an aesthetics perspective, it's nicer looking. Things are, the booths are nicer. The people all, you know, come out. And um, it, I just feel like there's a lot of, you know, help around if you need to find something, if you need to find an artist table. Um, it's just really well organized, and I really like the panels mm -hmm. at C2E2. Um, on top of all that, it's something like, uh, I think it was $60 for the weekend at C2E2, and it's like $70 for one day at yeah. Wizard World. Uh -huh. And uh, I don't know. It. I kind of wish they would just, just you know end wizard world because <laughs> it ends up like splitting a lot of big name artists and people that i'd like to meet you know sometimes it a lot of ha a lot of times they'll just do the one chicago show so it's like if i want to see you know mark wade and paul azicada i gotta go see 2e2 but then if i want to see like greg capolo or something i have to go to wizard world and yeah. it just i don't know it's it's rough yeah the the venue is different for both of them as well right i think uh c2e2 <clears throat> is in mccormick and then is it uh where's the world at the rosemont that's correct that's correct okay. for not being from around here you uh hey. you know your stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i i try to know my stuff i've been to both places but i i prefer the mccormick as well um last time i went to wizard world i walked i parked <laughs> i don't know why but i parked like two and a half miles away because I was like, yeah. oh, I, I need to find some parking. So I found this app, I, like parking app, like, I don't know what it was. And it said, hey, park over here. It'll be cheaper for you to park here, and it's right close. So I parked there. Great. But then I don't know where I'm going, so I walk like, literally <laughs> two and a half miles yeah. to the Rosemont. And it's just like, ugh. On the way yeah. back, I came this close to getting a cab and just like saying, forget it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the other good thing about McCormick. Even though it seems like, you know, they keep uh, brushing you off to further and further lots, mm -hmm. there's a bunch of shuttle buses, there's yeah. attendants there to get you where you're going. You're never really, I mean, you're, you're far. It's a giant place, but, I mean, you're never just completely lost in the desert. Like, yeah. I feel like you are with uh, some of the Rosemont yeah. <laughs> issues. And having to be someone who typically would drive in, you're paying uh, on average in Chicago parking is thirty bucks, right, for like a day. 
Yeah, yeah. If you're going into, um, so I live in Chicago. is a pretty big place, um, but where McCormick is is called the Loop, and the Loop is uh, where all the L's, all the elevated trains, run in a loop around like the downtown area. So if you get into that area, thirty bucks is real easy to spend on parking. Mm-hmm. Um, I live out on the west side, and it's not so bad. You know, you can find some free street parking or pay the box for, like, two bucks for three hours. But, yeah, if you're going into Chicago and you have a car, uh, I, I would either figure out how to use public trans <laughs> or uh, get, get some comfortable shoes. Yeah, exactly. Either <laughs> way, you're going to be having to try to figure out, you know, either spend a pretty penny on parking or use some smarts and figure out how to use public transportation. Right. What, what I did this last time, this is the first time I've done it, I should do it more often, but uh, I rode the train in from, I caught it at Pontiac, Illinois, and rode okay. it up and got off on uh, Central Station, or Union Station, right? Yep, yep, Union Station. And then not maybe a block away, there was a C2E2 shuttle stop, Perfect. and so I was able to hop right on there and get right in. It was excellent. Nice, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the best way to do it. I mean, I can catch one of the... the uh, L's just right from my house and take it right in, but um, that wasn't always the case. I used to have to park like like the rest of everyone, and it's it can be a pain. <laughs> so let's let's get to where we bumped into each other. I believe we were waiting in line for some beer, which is typical for me. I don't know yeah, about you. <laughs> definitely, it definitely waiting in the uh, the Revolution beer line over there. I I love that they're they're the spot the beer sponsor for them because that's like one of my favorite beers. They're from Chicago and uh, I I really like the stuff they put out. And they do a special one for C2E2 called Galaxy Hero that uh, you can't really get any other time of the year except for at the convention. So yeah, that's that's where we ran into each other. Yeah, and the beer was good, but I think our conversation was better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically, you showed me your comic that you had, which is Career Suicide. I think it's like the first half of an issue, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's correct. That's correct. So um, tell me a little bit about your inspiration for Career Suicide. So um, I uh, work at a, uh, an IT company. Oh, really? Um, yes, I do. Uh, we we have several things in common. Um, so it's I've worked there. So my my dad worked there, and I started working there summers when I came home from college. And then uh, when I finished school, I started working there, kind of full time. And uh, it's it's a a stereotypical office space cube farm, just like. Uh, you you know I'm sure everyone can imagine so very similar to like the office or office space or anything that you can imagine where it's just cubicles right right so um, I kind of wanted I I always kind of found some humor in it um, just the the kind of like self-contained universe that happens in there with like office relationships. Um, all the kind of like catty political stuff that goes on (laughs) and, uh, you know, just like your general, um, 
uh, you know, issues between people, and, it, and you're just kind of like forced to be in these people's lives, like whether you like it or not, and interact with them all the time. So uh, it, it's, and I, I don't know, it's always like, I guess I really saw the humor in how seriously people took like their jobs as administrators and paper pushers and uh just my first idea was to start off with like a, a comedic approach to a book about you know something kind of like office space uh but I didn't want to get too close to like a Dilbert strip so I wanted it to be a little more realistic kind of funny kind of raunchy and uh I brought the idea up to one of my co-workers and uh he had done some writing nothing major just you know kind of in his spare time he did some novel type uh sci-fi writing and he said I'd, I'd love to to write on it would you be willing to do that and I said sure you know you seem like you know what you're doing it's one less thing for me to do and I I really just kind of wanted to like throw in my two cents on the on the uh plot points and I wasn't really too excited about writing dialogue and um, writing out the way a comic script is written, writing out what I already knew how I was going to draw. You know, I, I didn't want to write, we're in a living room, so-and-so <laughs> sitting here, because I already knew how I wanted to you know, see that in the drawings. So um, when he took it, it was, you know, it was still kind of funny, but he is heavily influenced by horror and kind of supernatural, uh, you know, media, let's say. And uh, he kind of took it in a direction that I didn't really think of it, it going there, but it ended up being, now it's it's kind of turned into like Office Space meets Dexter. <laughs> Something like that. Like it's uh it's definitely gotten a lot more horror and a lot more violent than I thought it was gonna get, but I'm I'm on board with it. Like I like drawing that kind of stuff. So um It makes it unique too. Yeah, yeah. So that was basically the inspiration was you know, we worked in a place that was like that and then we just kinda started talking about like what <clears throat> What? How could this be like? If it was turned up to the most extreme side of the spectrum, how, you know, crazy could we get this? Or like, we wanted to. We started going like, do we want it to be something that could exist in the world, or, you know, do we want to just go crazy, cartoon like anything goes? And I think we settled on something closer to it could be real but you know it's uh it's just one of those things where you got to suspend your disbelief a little bit mm -hmm. well so you kind of have some background now as to what influenced you guys to create the story right so when did you decide i'm gonna i'm gonna we're gonna do this we're gonna actually get this thing printed and made it's gonna be it's gonna be something that's gonna be tangible um well, I think that that was always the goal um, when we first started about it. You know, like I when, I when we first started talking about it, 
right away I was like, I want to do a comic book. And so we already knew, like, that was the goal. And uh, then we got a table at uh, Cake, which is the Chicago Alternative Comics Expo in 2013. And once they gave us a table, it's it's not um, an incredibly large show or anything. It's in the gymnasium of the center on Halstead, and they just set up a bunch of tables. I think there's, back then, which is two years ago, um, they had probably about 150 creators, and this past year, uh, it happened over the week of like June 6th and 7th this year, they got in like another 75 creators. So it's up to something like 225, 230. Oh, wow. And they have panels, but it's, um, I don't know, you know, it's, if you've only been to larger, real deal pro comic cons, um, it's a much different experience to go to a kind of like self-published independent comic con because it's just, I mean, some people are printing their books off their printer at home and stapling them together or, uh. You know, it's just people that don't necessarily have professional publishers backing them. So you really get to see uh, passionate creators at these things because it's just like they just want to get their book out. And a lot of it is um, like Fanagraphics will be there, uh, drawn in quarterly. The um, It's a Q name. I can't remember. Qu Quimby's? I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember. But uh, there's like a few, they're kind of like thinking man's comics. Uh -huh. uh, not so much, you won't see a lot of like superhero stuff. You won't see a lot of uh, the more mainstream plots that you think of when, when somebody thinks of mainstream comics. Um, so it's it's really interesting. You know, you get to see people that have some really great ideas, great stories, um, I I, uh, I really liked it. So that getting the table at that convention gave us a hard deadline to have something done. Mm -hmm. So that really pushed us to flesh out whatever we wanted to flesh out. I would have liked to have had a full issue to bring there, but um, it was we were tight financially on the printing and I hadn't finalized all the artwork at the time. So we just said, you know what, we'll do like a kind of like a teaser issue and hopefully that will get people into it and we'll, um, you know, have them hooked for when we finish the book. So the book's finished now. Um, I'm actually doing a uh, show next weekend called Space, which is something similar to Cake, but it's in Columbus, Ohio. They need to make Space Cake. Just yeah, space cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're doing that next weekend, and we're going to have the full first issue, which is about 24 pages. I think the one you have there is like 12. And then the second issue is, uh, I think I have two pages left to color. So hopefully we'll get the first issue done in front of people next weekend, get some traction, get the second one in front of them next month, so... 
So that was my question, too. So in this issue I have, which is the special cake edition, as it says on the top right-hand corner, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's all black and white. So I was wondering if that was going to be kind of your aesthetic going forward or if you were going to have it being colored as well. Um, so the new issue, I liked the black and white. Um, I really liked the way that uh, The Walking Dead was able to use it. And uh, I just... I. I think that you can do a, a whole lot with it, and a lot of books kind of, I think, lean on their coloring uh, a little more than they should, and it, I don't know, it can be, like, distracting from the art. It could be, yeah, you're true. Um, so, I just wanted to go with that, and uh, this new issue, like, the one, the first cake issue... Um, well, really, all of issue one is just like the, the one you have there. Um, is just it's either black or white. No, no tonality. There's no no grays, nothing in there. So with this issue, I really felt like that was missing because if you just do black or white um, in in frames or in pages where there's not a lot of darkness. It just, it looks too flimsy. Like, the line work just doesn't have enough weight to really, like, get you moving around the page, and it it doesn't give what I want to give with the art. So with this one, I wanted to do all, a lot more gray tones, and uh, that's that's pretty much what I've done. Um, I It's not just black and white. I've used uh, a lot of, like cool grays and like sepia tones so this will actually have to be printed in color um to get all the different shades and tones and stuff that i did with this one um it's just you know when you start printing in color uh costs go up yeah costs go up but i'm i just kind of said screw it because i don't want to I don't want the quality of the book to suffer because I might not have enough money to print it. Just make the book as good as I can make it and try to get some funding when it's made. The feel of dreams approach. Make it and they will come. And they will come. That's right. <laughs> so, Ray Kinsella. Exactly. Uh, so it took a little bit of a, I guess you could call it a leap of faith, but you've got the comic to the way that you want it to be at this point because you have the coloring the way you want you have it really fleshed out, and you're really ready to to let everybody see at this point, right? Yes, yeah. Um, with this next issue, I think that we've really like found our groove in what we where we want the story to go. Um, we're starting to get a good feel of like who the characters are, what you know, where they're going. This second issue is going to flesh out more, you know, uh, the characters of the office who works with him and gives you like a peek at the kind of like seedy underbelly of the office and like the nefarious things that are going on there. Um, so the way that I have it now, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I am pretty sure this is the way I want it. And I, I think that we can kind of, we're going to use this as a platform to pitch going forward like the the book that's coming out next is the best iteration of it and if we're ever going to bring it to some to publishers 
uh, this would be the one to, to show them. So I think that with this one, we're, we're going to put it all on the table, so to speak. Yeah. And, you know, you're an artist, right? So I think it was maybe Lucas who said art is never finished. It's just abandoned, right? Right, right. So you, you can always go back and say, oh, I, I could do this, or I should do this little art here, maybe this line, maybe make it a little bit more what your vision is. But you have a vision in your head, and it's just so hard to try to put that on the page, right? Yeah, just... and, yeah. And, and the other thing that I kind of am wrestling with with this is, like, I started this book two years ago, and I'm just finishing the second issue of it, and in the meantime, I've learned a lot. Um, um, even though, you know, like I, when I drew the first book, I thought like this is the best I can make it. And now I look back at it and I'm like, wow, I can't believe, you know, it looks like this. <laughs> I, you know, like I, once I see the the quality of the art now, it's so different. And like jarringly different when you see the two issues next to each other, um, but it's like, you know, I I can't do anything about what's already what's already done. I, I'm not going to go back and redraw the entire first issue because I feel like I'm a better artist now. I just got to keep moving forward, and I feel like there's several books and several artists where you can kind of see the artist's progression um, in their talent and skill and know-how you can see how their experience is affecting the quality of their art and i think that that's that's going to just have to be the way it is with this with this book right i mean and you talk about you know your art getting better and that's true with any artist you think about it like michelangelo didn't start out by painting the most majestic screen ever right right but but so i mean everybody has to start somewhere and it really to those who study the art, obviously they can see the inspirations and what you come from, how you learn, and how you progress along the way. And it really just adds to what you're able to do and bring forward and what you think you'll be able to do in the future, really, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It uh, definitely gives me an idea of where I want to go. And, I mean, you're always learning, you know, no matter what. And it just, I mean, it just takes time and practice. Like, you brought up Michelangelo and... uh one of my favorite quotes by him that I always think of is he says like, you wouldn't think I was a genius if you knew how long it took me. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I think about that a lot too. It's like everyone has to learn. Everyone, you know, is, is going to take some teaching and everyone has to practice all the time. So, Mm -hmm. um, I kind of take comfort in that and just, you just got to move forward and do, do your best. Yeah, and like, for instance, the podcast that I do, right, is just like, from the first episode till now, it's like, you can hear the differences in the the quality of the units that we have, the editing, everything else, and just the way we talk. We were probably really nervous and everything on the first ones, but now it's kind of, we're more comfortable with it, I think you could say, but it's okay. it's a yeah. progression of everything. Like, you're more comfortable with your art now, you're getting more used to what you can do, what your talents, how you can express what you want. Whereas when you first started, you're like, I think this is pretty good. But then look at it two years later. It's like, wow, that could have been done better. Right, right. And, I mean, we actually did, me and my writer, Frank Provenzano, we actually talked about, like, should we go back and, you know, like, totally rehash the first book? And I, I, I'm ultimately just squashed it, like, no, you know, I don't want to – because it takes a, a, a good while, I mean – um, if I 
can concentrate wholly on on my artwork, I can maybe get two pages done. That's from nothing on the page to completely inked and colored two pages in a week. And mm-hmm. that's like cooking with gas. You know, I mean, um, it's not like when you're doing... If I worked for Marvel and I was a penciler, like I could see them wanting like a page a day because you're just penciling. But when you're when you're independent and you're self-publishing, you're the team. You know, you're a one-man team. You're the inker, the colorist, the penciler. I'm also the letterer. Then I got to go in and digitally clean it up and get it ready for you know get it all digitally set up for for print. So it's uh, it takes a while, right? I mean, you're talking about that. It takes a while to do things. And you look at your book, and there's just two credits on it, right? You look at a typical Marvel book. How many credits are there? There's oh, right. There's pencilist. There's colorist. There's the story by these two people, and then there's this and that. And yeah. you, it's just you and Frank, and it's just you guys putting your all your work on the page, story and drawing and everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's. That's the way we have to do it, and uh, I mean, I, I kind of like that um, because I think ultimately I'm just kind of a control freak, <laughs> and uh, I, I like to be able to make every single element of the book exactly the way that I, I think it serves the book best. Because um, you know, if you're, I feel like it would be tough if I was like a really good penciler. And then I had to hand it off to somebody who was like a crappy inker and then followed by like a first day on the job colorist. And then <laughs> at the end, the the page looks like baloney. So, you know, uh, I, I like being able to get my hands in everything. And it makes it makes me accountable, you know, like I can't point at anyone else and say like, oh, it's crappy because that guy sucks. Mm-hmm. Like if if it's bad it's because it's 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 all on me but if it's good it's all on me you yeah know? <laughs> exactly all, all the credit goes to you and then all the jeers go to you as well right, right 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 so in this book with when you were doing the artwork for it and the one the that you've gone forward with how are you are you drawing it do you draw it on a page or do you draw it like on a uh, computer assisted anyway or is it all just just um, hand done everything that i do is hand drawn um this book is hand colored i use copic markers i don't know um they're something like watercolor in a marker so you don't uh you know even if you're not an artist everyone's everyone's colored with a marker and you can see the banding the streaks Mm -hmm. that a marker makes it doesn't make like a, a continuous field of color kind of like a brush has its strokes Right, exactly. So these these kind of markers, um, they are able to give you that continuous field of color quality, and you can, you know, keep going in and darken areas and whatever. But um, back to what you were asking, I do everything hand. The only thing that I do on the computer is letter, um, just because I think a it would be a pain in the neck to hand letter everything and get it uniform so that every every letter on every page is the same size 
and every everything is spaced correctly and every you know it's legible when you know illustrator does it like that and it serves the book best because you want the reader to be able to read it all mm-hmm. and not be taken out of the story because like all of a sudden in a word bubble the line kind of like trails off <laughs> and doesn't line up right with the you know what i mean like those kind of mistakes are easily noticed when they're you know it's just one thing among a bunch of uniform things mm-hmm. you know so i i and plus there's so many fonts that you can get if you have font lab you can make your own fonts you know you can do a whole lot of stuff so um yeah it's I, that's the only thing i do on the computer i like doing everything by hand because i feel like it's dying a little bit um yeah a lot of the artists that i know um are moving to like cintiq tablets and like wacoms and things wacoms, like that wacoms yeah and i mean those those definitely have their merits and i'm sure you know at some point i you know will probably break down but um there's just something to the quality of hand drawn art that I I don't know if you can get with digital. I was talking to Jason Fabach about this. Um, he draws Batman. Uh, he did a bunch of the Batman Eternal. And I was talking to him about it at C2E2 this year. And he was just like, look. He's like, look at this drawing. You know, was this digital or hand-drawn? And I couldn't really tell, but if I looked at it for a while, you can tell... And he's just like, I don't think it makes any difference. I don't think there's any uh, any merit to hand drawing. And I just, I don't feel that way. I think that the only thing that it really gets you is you don't have a room full of drawing implements. You know what I mean? Or, or you know, you don't have to have anything except that tablet and Photoshop or right. Illustrator or whatever, like... It nicely wraps up everything that you need to draw anything right there at your fingertips. You don't got to get a pen or a pencil or a marker or a paintbrush. It's all right there. So, I mean, that obviously makes it super convenient. And, yeah, you can do just about everything. But, I mean, I, I feel like I am more skilled with my hand and, like, a pen and paper then I I feel like my art would like take a few steps back while I learned Mm -hmm. a whole new system, you know? So that's also kind of makes me hesitate about it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just stuck in the mud. (laughs) (laughs) You're like the old man, get off my yard with your digital stuff. Yeah. You're newfangled. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's something to be said, obviously with hand drawing, uh, as opposed to computer rendered, which, or, you know, computer assisted, which, Computer assisted is fine, right? It's it's not like you're taking away from any artistry or anything with that. But a lot of times when you look at, um, especially, I I have a lot of exposure to games, right? The okay. video games, and there's a a trend to some of the games that are like there's a new one coming out called King's Quest, uh, and he's hand drawing all of the scenes, and then having to do this painstaking process to hand draw them, scan them in, hand draw the animations, scan those in. 
and everything goes back and forth. See, that's great. I, I mean, like, I feel like you're gonna get, you're not gonna get that quality from from anything else. And there's still like, um, I'm probably gonna butcher his name, but uh, I believe it's Hideo. Hideo Kojima. Uh, no, he, he does uh, Spirited Away. Oh, uh, uh, Miyazaki. 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 Yeah. So he's like one of the one of the greatest. I, I think they call him like the Japanese Walt Disney. Uh huh. But um, you know his his animated movies are still all, all hand drawn, mm -hmm. and I mean you can look at something like. Spirited Away or uh, Princess Mononoke. Yeah, and they're just they're you know breathtaking, and so is Toy Story three. But I think I just have a greater appreciation for like this team of people in a studio that is like painstakingly you know drawing these animated cells, and you know he's there. He's got the vision of the entire thing all the time. He's got to think about, you know, the timing of the frames. There's so much to, to think about, and there's so much to appreciate that goes into things like that, that, uh, I don't know, I just, like, digital has this, like, sterile, cheating feel to it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, it's like, too, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, obviously drawn art right now, but even if you talk about the art that you listen to, like, if you were to go to a symphony and listen to a symphony play in a room, it's it doesn't compare to listening to a symphony from an iPod, right? Right. I mean, you can have great headphones, you can have the top-of-the-line equipment, but s listening to a, a symphony play in person is just, there's a really deeper motivation or emotional connection, I think, that you can make from it. And the same kind of goes with, when you when you see and you recognize and you kind of know without even really having to ask if it's hand drawn versus computer drawn, because it's you just kind of have more of a reaction to it, more of a connection you could say because it's it's organic. Right. Yeah. When I when I was in art school, the uh, the buzz term would be um, it's got a human quality. Right. Mm -hmm. So you know, like it doesn't have this like cold clean feel. It's got this these qualities that make like you were saying like help you connect to it and uh you know you, you just kind of develop a better understanding i feel like for what the artist's trying to say when you see those little things even like the imperfections that don't come with with digital art generation um those little imperfections you know it makes you feel like you know a little about about the artist or you you are experiencing a special little bit of that that piece of artwork that uh just wouldn't be there if it was created with a computer you know if Picasso had a computer we wouldn't have Picasso right right exactly <laughs> or you know and and on top of it it's like i have these uh these physical tangible pieces of original art that I can show or sell or display or do whatever with and you know if you make something on the computer 
it kind of lives in the computer. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can make prints of it, but that's a print. You know, you have no original artwork. That that's the other that's one of the other things that I you know can't really get around is that I like having things. I like having objects. You know, I, I think that's why I decided to do you know print a comic instead of just do a web comic and save myself hundreds of dollars on print runs and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I I think that people want that. I think that especially comics fans want the object. You know, like they like reading it, putting it in the in the mylar, putting it in the box, cataloging it. You know what I mean? It's uh-huh. it, there's a there's a collector's aspect to to hand drawn art as well or or handmade art. Yeah, I mean, I I think I have my feet on both sides of the fence on this one because I love having the physical object. I love having it on my shelf and seeing it, being able to pull it out and show it to a friend, let somebody borrow it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also really love reading comics on an app like Comixology. Uh, right. Because with Comixology, one of the cool things, I think, is the guided view where you're able just to see cell by cell. So you get the full impact of every cell, not just when you have the page turn. Right. You know, but... And, and I, 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 I mean, like, I'm, I'm with you on that um, because there's no way for me to not... to, to keep the reader from seeing the entire spread when they open a page right Uh so it's like you can't really get that element of surprise like you're talking about going single frame to single frame and a lot you know like uh comiXology and uh, comic book reader apps uh some of them can throw in cool little animations um little sounds you know there's there's a lot of added qualities that you can't make a book do Mm -hmm. um so there's definitely merit to that, and um, but I mean a lot of that, you know, is still. I mean, well, I don't know. I'm actually kind of talking out of my butt here. I, I wouldn't really, <laughs> I wouldn't know. I was gonna say that a lot of those are probably still, you know, drawn by someone's hand, and then they right. you still read them on the on the computer. But I don't really know what the what the numbers are on that. <laughs> right. I'm sure there are still comics that are hand drawn that you know are digitized to be able to be distributed digitally because i mean that is a a growing market if you look at sales and stuff like that right is that everybody has some sort of smartphone or tablet and everyone likes to have something to read from time to time so maybe they want a comic so it's it's a good market to tap into but um i really like you said too you know collecting the comics like i'm collecting or at least trying to (laughs) collect all the the star wars comics that are coming out from marvel now right oh yeah so, I thought you were going to say Secret Wars, and I was going to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I haven't. I'll, I, I decided that I want to wait for the trade on that when it comes out. Yeah, uh, that's a good move. <laughs> but I'm getting all these individual comics, and I, I love you know getting them, uh, putting them in the, the protective sleeve, you know, and just getting them out there. But the really cool thing about that is, with that in particular, and I think a lot of different Marvel ones may do it now, actually, is that you have the ability to like redeem a digital code, so you have your physical copy, and then right. you can get the digital to to read on Comixology or wherever. So that's what I actually typically do is I, I get it. I have the, the joy of collecting it to put it in there, put it on my shelf, and have I, say I have a display of it. But then I also have the ability to pull it up on my phone and be like, yep, I want to download it now and read it while I'm on a plane. Because I'm not going to take a comic on the plane. Right, right. <laughs> so 
it is it, it's an it's a it's an evolving market but really i think when you look at hand drawn it's yeah like you said it could be a little bit of a like a dying possibly art form because it is an art form and we know different art forms tend to go through iterations right uh you look at people who prefer vinyl to cd or anything like right that. right so and there's all different I think, qualities yeah i think that there's always going to be um you know, there's always going to be people who appreciate, like you said, vinyl is a great example, um, a certain style of art or a certain way to make art. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I also think, too, with, like, the new uh, the new kind of generation of artists are going to probably learn on Wacom tablets. You know, I think... I, I didn't go to school to, you know, necessarily be a comic book artist, but, you know, I did go to school to just be, like, a, a two-dimensional artist. I did, like, painting and printmaking, and uh, a lot more kids were getting, you know, um, their computers out and doing, like, painting in Photoshop and not even taking those kinds of classes and stuff, so... Uh, I don't know. It's I I would be very sad to see it go, but I think it's it's still a long way off. Yeah, I mean, like there will always be people who try to keep it alive, um, and that will do a good job at keeping it alive. And I I want to continue to see it because it'll be uh, uh, one of those things that just kind of I don't want to see it go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, but. Let's kind of try to shift gears just a little bit, if you want. What do, you, as far as the comic books go, who's your who's your favorite that you like to list or like to read? Any particular artists or particular books that you like to read? <clears throat> um, let's see. Um, right now, so I uh, somebody who's kind of new that uh, it just seems like everything I read of his is great is uh justin jordan is a writer he does um the luther strode comics i don't know if you've seen any of those uh it started with like i think the the legend of luther strode and now it's become the legacy of luther strode uh he also does spread and he also did some stuff for dark horse that i can't remember right now um, so I love him as a, as a writer. I love, um, let's see, like, let me think of a classic writer. I, I, I used to love Spawn. Um, mm -hmm. so Frank like Miller's? Frank Miller, uh, Todd McFarlane. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, uh, as far as artists, I really like, uh, Trad Moore. And um, Paul Azaceda, who does Outcast with Robert Kirkman, um, he's great. Uh, he also did Dead Body Road with uh, Justin Jordan and just draws a car chase scene like nobody I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, just like the movement in it is amazing. Um, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's because, like, I am a sucker for Spawn, but I love... Greg Capolo, who did most of the art for Spawn, did like over a hundred issue run on Spawn, 
and um, he also did all of the new 52 Batman with Scott Snyder. Okay. Um, I, uh, he, I, I just, I really love the way that he draws, like, the human form, and he's really super uber detailed. Um, he was just, yeah, he was one of the people that made me want to be better and, like, be a comic book artist. So, yeah, he was a big what one for me. What was the first comic that you read? The first comic I read was um, Spider-Man versus Wolverine. Uh, it was... It was 1988 might have been 88 or 85 I can't remember the the year that it came out but there was like a uh, this tiny little comic shop called the hodgepodge in my neighborhood and uh it always seemed like it was like hours from going out of business <laughs> and uh go in there and they just have all these back issues that they were trying to unload for like 10 cents a quarter, like grab a handful and give me a dollar type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we would get, you know, all these kind of weird mismatched comics. And, you know, as a kid, it's kind of ironic that, like, you know, comics are aimed at kids, but I don't know. The way that I read comics now, I go to the store every week and pick up, like, $30 worth of books. And... I, I don't know any kid that has $30 a week. You know, <laughs> if you had $30, that was like you just had a birthday or something. Uh-huh. So, um, and comics are so much more expensive now than they yeah. were back in the 80s. And it's like, like I have one buddy who would go, who has been going to the comic shop with me for like every week for the past two months and just never really did it before. But since we both work together and I'm going on my lunch break, he just went with me. So he decided to start collecting comics when secret wars started the new the new secret wars Mm-hmm. okay and i was like i don't know you know like if you know what what's going to happen here but there's going to be like a main line and then it's going to do like a thousand offshoots and one shot standalones and all this baloney and you're gonna end up you know in a in a web of things to buy and follow did you show and, him how Civil War, how that storyline was? and how? Yeah, yeah, I tried <laughs> to help him. I tried to show him, and he was just bound and determined. And now he's, like, every week that we go, he's spending, like, between 50 and and $100. Good Lord. And I'm just like, dude, you know, like, I mean, good good on you. You know, I, I love comics. I'm never going to tell someone not to buy comics, but it's huh. just those kind of things always just kind of upset me. I feel like it's just like a money grab for Marvel to like suck people into things like that. Like I love the structure of like image books where, you know, it's going to be a six issue run. Like they might bring it back, but like, I know I'm going to buy this and I'm going to be done buying it in six months or whatever it is. You know, like there's an end in sight. Mm -hmm. I don't read too many books that are just like, open-ended arcs for them to just do whatever with because it's it's a perpetual second act right right so you're just kind of like rehashing stuff what can we do now what can we do now and it kind of 
starts taking originality out of it because you have to do what's been done a bunch of times to like keep the characters going. You got to kill off a parent or a wife or something, and it's just like mm-hmm. I I don't know. I feel like you can tell more original stories when you're able to end it, you know, cleanly and just put the character to bed. Mm-hmm. You know, not necessarily kill them all the time or whatever, but just conclude the story so that you know i know that i'm working toward you know a payoff right so if you read you know whatever it is spider-man and it's going to be like they have to reinvent the wheel constantly and it sometimes just gets repetitive and tired to read one of the most recent books that i enjoy uh it was a very short series um well it was part of a bigger series but this particular run was only three issues was part of the Flashpoint Paradox, or the Flashpoint series, the Batman run in Flashpoint, which was, I mm-hmm. believe, three issues, mm-hmm. where it followed Thomas uh, as Batman. You know, it was a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. It was it was perfect. It was really good, and it was one of the best books that I always like to go back and actually read in the most recent uh, memory of mine. So Yeah. Like you said, it has a, a de- definition for an end. It's not one of those open-ended ones like 147 issues later, this is going to happen type thing. But Right, right. Or like Spider-Man, you know, superior uh-huh. Spider-Man, where it's like his mind was in Dr. Octopus's body and then it got switched back. So it's like, why, why did I, why do we even go through this? Yep. Like, you're back now. You're still Peter Parker. Like, what I, I was the know. point? What what was accomplished during this run? Yeah, you wanted to sell me 30 more books. Yeah. So I want to end with one last question of you. I know the first book that you read was Spider-Man, Wolverine. Um, who is your favorite of the superheroes? Um, My favorite superhero... Um... I think it would probably be a toss-up between Batman and Spawn. Um, I really liked the way Spawn was done because he double-crosses the devil. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's just not, like, a good guy. You know, like, he... He's your anti-hero. He's right? a, yeah, he's an anti-hero. And... Um, I also liked the idea that the more he used his powers, the closer he came to death. Like, his his armor killed him. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the thing that made him powerful was also killing him. Which is, I mean, I, I also kind of like, um, I don't know if you've read any of the new Thors, where uh, Jane Foster is Thor now. I but she has yet, but she good. has cancer, and every time she picks up the hammer... It it accelerates her disease, which like puts a, a cool, you know. I I like to worry about the character a little bit, you know. Like I don't like to feel like that's why I never really liked Superman because like I always knew he was gonna be fine, and it seemed like when he it seemed like oh something might happen, he got a new power. To overcome that situation, and I was he tried like, harder. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> this dude can't lose. Like, why? I don't know. And I like Batman because, uh, you know, he has no power. 
So mm-hmm. he's your everyday, everyday guy. Except yeah, he's a billionaire. That, that yeah, he's a billionaire, and he has a lot of gadgets. But uh, he just, you know, goes out there and and gets his ass kicked like the rest of us. It's kind of it's kind of great. Um, just I I think that that kind of thing, you know, the the everyday. Uh, he, yeah, he's a billionaire, but you know, it's kind of like the um, it's kind of like kick ass, where it's mm-hmm. like there you can you. It, it gives readers the idea that, you know, it's not impossible. You can do a good thing and you don't have to be an alien or have a radioactive accident. Right. Yeah. So you talk about superheroes and everything else, and it's all amazing because it, it really, you look at your superheroes, your first comic book, it informs where you are now and the comics that you write now and that you draw. And it really gets you where you are, and so you can definitely tell that you, it'll come through in your work as you go forward, won't it? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I hope it does. Um, <laughs> I don't think that I make necessarily make conscious decisions like, like when I'm drawing my comic, like oh, I wonder what would what Batman would do in this situation. <laughs> you know, like I think that just my immersing myself in those kinds of things for a lifetime ends up permeating my work subconsciously, you know, like, and so we have like a, my guy is an anti-hero, you know, like our, our main character in, in career suicides, an anti-hero. He's not such a great guy, but, uh, he does start to like develop some skills and abilities where he decides to like thwart some, some evil doings just because he doesn't want to see people suffer so much, mm-hmm. you know. Not necessarily that like he's a great guy, but uh, you know he's not. He's not going to win any humanitarian awards, but he's not a complete loss, you know. Right. Well, Steve, I would like to thank you for coming on and just having a little bit of a chat with me again. The comic is Career Suicide. You can look for a full edition on that at Space, right? In uh, Space, Columbus? yeah, Space in Columbus at the uh, Fine Arts Center in Columbus, Ohio, next weekend. Awesome. And if you want to get in contact with Steve, how can they get in contact with you? Um, so my website, uh, hiredgunart.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they can bug me on Twitter, at Steve Joe Man. And I also have uh, an artist Facebook page, Steve Mancioni, M-A-N-C-I-O-N-E. Excellent. Well, again, thank you for joining me for this little chat, and uh, I'll let you go now. And uh, I just wanted to thank the listener for listening to this episode, and we'll catch you next time. We hope that you have been entertained. Mm-hmm.